Hey everybody, welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy and I am very excited for today's show. So much fun stuff to talk about. We're going to get to all of it soon and we're going to talk about some of it with our guest Michael Steele. So we'll bring him out shortly. But first I want to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media and we'll read a few comments and some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. All right, we're going to have three big things for you today, and we're going to start you off with this. Congress, if you will, please investigate the political witch hunts against me currently being brought by the corrupt DOJ and FBI, who are totally out of control. They don't go after Biden with all of his corruption, the most corrupt president in history. But they keep coming after me from the day I came down the escalator. All failures. God, that reminds me of something. I can't quite put my finger on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Russia, if you're listening. He's literally doing the same thing. Congress, rescue me. Well, he's not running for president. He's running to stay out of prison. Can he actually run? The (laughs) notion of Trump running anywhere for anything, (laughs) physically running, is pretty comical. But... All right, Donald Trump, if you're listening. Guys, what do you think the odds of Donald Trump listening to this podcast are? Point zero, zero, <laughs> so zero, one percent. So you're saying there's a chance. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Donald Trump, if you're listening, there's a reason why they're not going after Joe Biden. Because he's not a criminal. And you are. In multiple instances, in multiple jurisdictions. You are an unrepentant criminal. And that's it, period. And, and how many MAGAs are listening to the show now? What are we up to? I think we're down to five. Oh, down to five. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the five MAGAs listening, take the red MAGA cap off, put the Kool-Aid down, just take a deep breath and listen to me. There's no witch hunt. None. There's no conspiracy. It's not the deep state. It's not because he's running for president. It's not because he's a victim and everybody's against him. It's simply... Because he's a fucking criminal. Period. End of story. Witch hunt. (laughs) (laughs) That's the response. That's what they're hearing out of your mouth. All they're hearing is like... It's blah, 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 blah. Witch hunt. (laughs) Like goes through a... (laughs) Like a a Google translator. There's like a Trump translator. That's so good. That's so true. (laughs) He committed a crime, witch hunt. (laughs) Yes, that's what they're hearing. I mean, you know it. Yeah, we keep saying this all the time, but it literally is a cult. It is an absolute cult. To think that there is someone on this planet who the entire world is conspiring against and that he's actually not only innocent, he's the greatest president that ever lived. But he really is. But he's impressive. The fact that he's been able to do this for so long is incredibly impressive. He's an evil genius. Absolutely. So Donald Trump was hit last night with three new charges in the Mar-a-Lago stolen, classified, top secret, military, war planning document thing. It's called a superseding indictment. So it's taken the original indictment that came out of Florida in the Department of Justice through Special Counsel Jack Smith, and it added three more charges. There were two new counts of destruction and then a new count under the Espionage Act related to him actually showing the Iraq war plan document to those people at Bedminster. And for some context, let's play something that's been around for a few weeks now. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look, this was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but... They presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's see here. <laughs> yeah. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, isn't that incredible? Though? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. <laughs> and he, you know, he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? And he's in the papers. Wow. Yeah. 
this was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a, yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified. Yeah. Uh, now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, close. Now, now we have a problem. First of all, the people in the room, they were there writing a book about Mark Meadows. What is so fucking funny? They're laughing at the former president talking about top secret documents, war plans, as if it's like Sports Illustrated. And they're giggling and cackling. It's literally disgusting. But the interesting thing is there's now like a new player in this, Carlos de Oliveira, another poor schmuck who's gotten dragged into Trump's web of criminality. He's like a low-level property manager. He also was a valet parker at Mar-a-Lago. And then Walt Nada, who we already know, was indicted for helping Trump move and hide documents. This guy, de Oliveira, um, he apparently took Mar-a-Lago's IT expert, Yusel Tavares, into the audio closet. (laughs) And this is where, like, reality turns into Goodfellas. It is just the funniest fucking shit ever. Because if you listen to these clips, it's like you're watching a mob movie. Like the boss, the boss wants the server deleted. You know, the boss, the boss. And then it's like, can we trust this guy? De Oliveira, can we trust him? Is he good? Is he good? Can we trust him? Well, the only qualification that Trump looks for is not whether they're qualified to do their job, but if they, he believes they have incredible loyalty to Trump. So that's why the car parking attendant is now running the entire infrastructure of Mar-a-Lago. But I think what's really funny about this story is here he is asking his employee to erase the server, which contains all of the camera data. And this is a man who accused Hillary Clinton of bleaching her server for three years. We heard how Hillary bleached the server. And this gets back always with Trump. It's all about projection because the accusation is always really a confession. That's right. As a pathological liar, you can understand what the truth is by just do, listening to the opposite of what Trump says. And so it's all it's all about projection. Freud, <laughs> if he was around today, would be like, you know, this guy's good. He's good. It's all he ever does. It's so consistent that it's incredible. Yeah. You know, prosecutors love clips. They love when there's a defendant who's on tape, on camera, essentially admitting the crimes. And so now the question becomes, like, are these guys going to flip? And the answer is yes, they're all going to flip. You know, somebody, you know, Mrs. De Oliveira is going to be like, honey, you're not going to jail for that pig. A hundred percent. And so this is why, like, you know, months and months and months ago, you know, liberals are like, when when is this going to, like, this web is so large and it has to be unwoven and dissected in a prosecution so that when it's taken to a jury, all the players, all the pieces, all the clips, all the evidence, it just makes it beyond a reasonable doubt. We as armchair prosecutors can sit home and go, oh, it's been two years, it's been ditched. Why? I'm frustrated. I want, why isn't he in prison? Blah, blah, blah. And I get all that and I'm in that camp. But I also am in the camp of This shit's not easy. You're talking about potentially putting a former U.S. president in prison, and it's got to be done right. And I don't think there's a soul on this planet, Republican or Democrat, who can say Jack Smith doesn't know what he's doing. That dude ain't fucking around. The other thing about all of this is that it continues to just destroy all of Donald Trump's defenses. I didn't know. I didn't take it. They were planted. They weren't classified. I had no intent. It's all there. It's all there. We're still waiting for the indictment. The other, and I mean, it's like you need a scoreboard with this guy. Like, wait, was this the indictment? No, no, no. That's another indictment. That's the, the January 6th, the insurrection, people dying at the Capitol because of Trump. No, this was Florida. Like, it is unbelievable the amount of shit this guy is in. Crazy. All right, let's move on. Um, Twitter. Maddie, I know you love talking about Twitter. <laughs> this is Maddie's day. We're talking about Twitter. And then after Twitter, we're going to be talking about Barbie, the movie. Maddie, you, this is like, this is the best day. Maddie's going to be hashtag and best day ever on all his social media today. <laughs> Two of my favorite topics. Well, I mean, Twitter, we have Elon Musk, who clearly, as we know, there's, there's no rails to contain this person because he's taken 
one of the most iconic brands in social media or iconic brands in the world and change the name of it to something that doesn't make any sense. And the logo we used is just the letter X yeah. from, a, from a font. It's like if you said, oh, Times New Roman X <laughs> is now my logo for an international brand. And it, it's incredible that you could destroy a brand so immensely as to ruin it in every way. He's fully destroyed it. It's a totally distinct, well-known, incredible, visually appealing brand. And what he did was he turned it into something that's generic, nondescript, undistinctive, unexceptional, controversial. And the reason why it's controversial is, let's take a look at the letter X, if you will. The letter X symbolizes porn. Okay. X-rated. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Jen, I'm so surprised you. As someone who devours porn 24-7, you should know that. I'm glad you're piecing these things together for me. Okay. The letter X evokes fascist and Nazi symbols. The letter X is dark and male. The letter X is to cross something out. It's a negative. X is when you get answers wrong on a test. X. X is what people write when they can't spell their name, right? X, unlike Twitter and the blue bird, is everywhere. Twitter, the blue bird, is not. X has zero brand equity. It literally has trashed tens of millions of dollars in brand equity. Free advertising, journalists, musicians, actors, every time they do something, write something, there's a little symbol next to it. Every article, every magazine, every newspaper, every website, gone. So now instead of tweeting, what are we going to do? We're going to ext? Exting? That sounds an awful lot like sexting, Jen. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and no one, no one ever is going to refer to Twitter as X. No one is ever going to stop saying tweet. No one's going to say, hey, I X'd. I re-X'd. Forget it. Okay. All right. Enough about uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. Barbie. Last night I took myself to see Barbie because I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. It's fantastic. All right, so I'm going to go last. Come on. No, I'm dying. No, 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 We've no, been no, waiting no, no. and waiting for your assessment. No, Come on, man. There's enough of me talking. Let's, uh, all right, Maddie, I know you're busting at the seams. I mean, Greta Gerwig, of course, is a genius, and it's provable by everything that you see in Barbie. She proved that you could make a movie that was watchable by any level. You could go in there without any expectations of being deeply moved or being told that there's toxic masculinity or any of the other things that this movie does, and you could enjoy that movie. You could be a 14-year-old and not recognize any of the references to the 30 movies that are referenced in there and enjoy that movie. But at the same time, it was this incredibly deep movie which showed exactly why Ben Shapiro hated it, which was that you had Barbie, this plastic doll, who really came to the realization that she wanted to be human and wanted to be a woman. And that's not Ben Shapiro or the GOP's message. They want to control, and this is the opposite of what Barbie shows. So I saw Oppenheimer and then Barbie, and Matt said I was going to cry. And I was so mad when he said that, because I don't cry during movies. And God damn it, <laughs> the tears were flowing. She reached in, she took out my soul, and she articulated how... I feel, I don't know about most women, but I'm thinking there's like a good percentage there who just went, I'm just ordinary. I I'm never going to be extraordinary like these Barbies. There were no Ashkenazi five foot Jewish <laughs> Barbies who's, uh, who were going to grow into their <laughs> prominent nose. And I, I still felt like a little girl who was playing with Barbies when I was watching the movie. But then I also was laughing my ass off because to have men mansplain me about the Godfather, dude, that's my whole life. It was such a careful fan. of spoilers. <laughs> we don't want to we don't want to get in trouble with the people who it haven't was, seen the film yet. So. If you haven't seen it, it's a perfectly beautiful, written, directed, and visually appealing movie. Well done, Greta Gerwig. Well, I hated it. <laughs> 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 I had to say that. But I also want to say, as a woman, I... No, okay. <laughs> all right, all kidding aside, a couple of things that are unrelated to the film itself. I had no sleep the night before, so when those lights went down, 
I fell asleep. Oh no! I fell asleep for like I, I I literally had to for like ten minutes battle sleep. Fortunately for me, the guy sitting next to me kept clearing his throat every thirty nine <laughs> seconds throughout the whole fucking movie. So that kept me awake. But I don't know if you've ever been in a movie where the person sitting next to you is just like, <clears throat> every 39 seconds. I, I literally was like, all right, what do I do? Do I move? Do I get up and move? Can't do that. There's no seats. Does this guy got COVID? Like, I was just like, fuck, can I go to a fucking movie and just enjoy myself? <laughs> Jesus Christ. After being wife bullied. was on the cell phone. The kid was like, I have that dolly. Like, oh, God, I'm sitting with the family from hell. Okay. It was a great movie. It was a great movie because I went home and castrated myself, basically. <laughs> I was ashamed to be a man. God. I mean, I saw myself up on the screen, like, in my worst human form. I was like, God, do we do that? Do we do that? Now, look, I've got three daughters, and I try very hard, and uh, I love women. I love females. I run a foundation that gives grants to women filmmakers. I'm as liberal as you can get. And, but you know, we all are who we are. And at some point we're all guilty of some stupid shit. Explaining the Godfather or something. <laughs> Which was, that was genius, by the way. Um, sorry for the people who didn't see the movie yet. You, you, you won't, don't worry. It didn't ruin anything for you. What she did was so brilliantly define men and what's wrong with them and the patriarchy and our cluelessness and our insensitivity and there are just so many amazing moments brilliant funny indicting and you're just like wow and the acting i mean ryan gosling is off the charts awesome Margot Robbie is literally a Barbie. I mean, she is a Barbie. Um, it was just a great movie, an important film. And I totally, totally, with a capital T, understand why this movie is giving Republicans, and in particular, Republican men, explosive diarrhea. <laughs> because it is every fucking thing they hate, they fear, they're terrified of, what? Women with, with opinions? Women with jobs? Women with a voice? Equality? What? And it, it is so predictable to watch all of them come out and attack this movie. Ted Cruz. Like, simple question. What are they angry at? What do they have against this movie? It's teaching little girls how to be strong and successful. And, and self-aware. And self-aware and, self and assertive. So that's it. Barbie. Go see it. It's amazing. All right. Winners and losers. My winner is Greta Gerwig. Barbie earned the most amount of any movie this year, and it's directed by a woman, so that's fantastic. My loser, Abusive Men. Robert A. Hayden, a gynecologist, was convicted of luring women across state lines to appointments in Manhattan where he abused them. Boo. My winner is the Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss who sued Giuliani into admitting he lied and now will almost certainly be disbarred. There's so much more to this story that's just delightful. My loser, because he just keeps losing, is DeSantis, who had to cancel a fundraiser and also lower the price of a fundraiser. And according to 538, he's now at 18.8%, while Trump is at 52%, a 33-point gap. And donors are starting to look at the exit doors because he's collapsing. My winner... Greta Gerwig for utterly nailing why we men are a pathetic puddle of insecurity, self-loathing, and fear. My loser, Carlos de Oliveira, for being the latest in a seemingly never-ending series of people willing to throw their lives away for a corrupt, treasonous piece of shit like Donald Trump. And that brings us to our weekly rant. It began with Donald Trump, this eight-year-long campaign to undermine and subvert America's rule of law. The climax, of course, being Trump's refusal to participate in a peaceful transition of power. Subsequently, he and fellow Republicans in and out of Congress have shown a general disregard and disdain for our criminal justice system and the U.S. Constitution. 
In the past week alone, we've seen Alabama defy a Supreme Court order to add a second black district to its congressional map. And we've watched Texas Governor Greg Abbott defy the Department of Justice's order to remove floating barriers in the Rio Grande that are deemed dangerous and inhumane to migrants while disrupting U.S. Border Patrol operations in the area. Before Trump, Republicans and Democrats could put aside their policy differences and agree on matters pertaining to national security and the rule of law. And partisanship usually ended at the Constitution. But in today's toxic partisan landscape, the party that once provided itself on being the party of faith, of law and order, of national security, now only gives a shit about one thing, winning. At all costs, regardless if inhumanity, crime, and autocracy are the ultimate cost. So there's no more deference to and respect for the separation of powers, for co-equal branches of government, for Congress, for the courts, for judges, for subpoenas, for the Constitution, for the rule of law, for the belief that no one is above the law, for national security and our democracy. Republicans have reconciled that violating the law and slipping into autocracy is okay with them as long as the criminal and the autocrat is their guy. It's time for Michael Steele. He is the former Republican National Committee chairman, former lieutenant governor of Maryland, political an- analyst for MSNBC, and host of the Michael Steele podcast. Michael, welcome into the back room. Oh my gosh, in the back room. I love it. I love it. Good to be with you, Andy. It's where, it's where all the good stuff happens. <laughs> I know, right? It's been my experience in life. <laughs> and when I, when I was growing up, my, whenever I'd go shopping with my mother, she, like a lot of uh, Jewish mothers, if she didn't find what she wanted, she would always say, do you have any in the back, in the back room? <laughs> like a, the yeah, back room yeah. is always like where, like, no, they, they have the stuff, they put it out front. It's not in the back. They don't That's like, a... um, so it's, it's nice, to, <laughs> nice to have you in the back room here. Um, Good so to be before, here, man. Before we get into the meaty stuff of uh, all the news that's out there, and there's certainly a lot of it, I just want to go back a little bit in time and find out what you were like as a child. Were you always kind of like a politics nerd guy? Did that interest you at a young age or did that come later on? No, not really. Um, I was I was actually, as my family members would say, I, whenever I would come over to my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, they would just kind of roll their eyes and go, oh my God, he's here. Because I was, I was into everything. You know, I was the guy who would literally sit in the room and take the back off the television uh, and just tinker inside because I wanted to figure out what the heck was going on and how did it work. And of course, by the time I was done, it no longer worked. <laughs> so my aunts were really happy when I left. Um, but the political, excuse me, the political piece was something I kind of grew into later on. In fact, as a young kid, I, I wanted to be a priest. So my whole orientation was geared towards becoming a, a Catholic priest and and moving in that direction. And I, I guess there I guess there's a lot of politics in there. Uh, but uh, you know, I didn't see it so much in in that vein. And it wasn't until I actually um got into high school that I looked at politics and being involved in it, but not even looked at it in, in the in the sense of playing an elected role or, you know, being a party official. Um, I just like the idea of trying to get some good things done, you know, um, and moving, moving the country and moving issues in my community in a certain direction. And all of that just kind of evolved over time. And so... Do you remember the moment where just a bell went off in your head and you were like, oh, this political thing, like this is this is interesting. This is something I could spend a lot of time in. Probably once I got into law school after I did, I did enter a monastery uh, after college and spent a few years um, uh, following that that uh, that dream or that goal and. Um, and then, you know, once my vocation changed and I realized that, you know, I was actually being called to do something else, so to speak, um, I went to law school and when I got to law school, I kind of looked at the more proactive side of of politics. Now, interestingly enough, by that time, um, you know, I had, uh, developed a little bit more of an active interest in, in, but it was tough in DC. I mean, Look, you, you want to do the school of hard knocks, then go out and try to be a black Roman Catholic conservative Republican in Washington, D.C. <laughs> in the 1980s, right? 
I just like <laughs> with Reagan sitting yeah. in the White House and the country go, what? Yeah, actually, I want to ask know, you about so. that in a minute, by the way. So, but, you know, it's, um, but by the time I got, uh, I, you know, got married and moved into Prince George's County, um, I got involved in local politics and I really liked the, the sense of kind of building something um, or taking on sort of that that Don Quixote kind of approach to uh, politics. Because, you know, again, D.C., you're outnumbered 10 to 1. I move into a county in Maryland where I'm outnumbered 15 to 1 in terms of uh, voter registration. But I love the challenge because I believed in the ideas and I thought they they offered value for people and have spoken about uh, in the context of, of how people live their everyday lives. I could convince some people that, yeah, this is this is worth the the venture. Was your family Republican, conservative, or was that something no, you, you brought to no. the table? <laughs> Besides no, fix, trying to fix, fuck with the television sets, like, is this another thing? They were like, Michael, back off. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. So I had I had an aunt, uh, God bless her, she recently passed, who was the only Republican in the family before I came along and. No one really talked to her much. So I figured, you know, she must she must know some secrets. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go hang out with Aunt Josephine. And um, uh, and I did. I loved her. She she was she was such a such a great lady. But no, my mom and dad were my, and they both are. God bless. Uh, still card carrying, you know, Roosevelt Democrats, mm. you know, and um you know, they're old school. Um, and you know, it didn't really kind of play out in, along the, the liberal conservative line the way it does now. I mean, you look at um, a lot of a lot of black support for Democrats was born out of uh, the party's uh, elevation of civil rights, even though the Republicans started out doing that. We abandoned that that narrative uh, in the late 50s and 60s and seeded that um uh to to democrats and even really lost a lot of ground in going back to roosevelt in the 30s because uh you know people liked his policies they did like the policies of of kind of putting a chicken in every pot during a during the depression mm -hmm. so and so black folks weren't immune to this idea of of being on the upside um and and getting through these very very difficult times so that narrative began to move the needle, if you will. But it, it was, you know, the family, they, you know, my mom raised me um, after my dad passed away uh, and, and before she remarried, um, you know, she just raised me to be an independent thinker. And she, you know, just laid it out there for me in a way that you've got to own this because it's what you want, it's what you believe. It's not what somebody else wants or what somebody else believes. So that has always animated my my politics, um, and it had a very resonating appeal because, uh, you know, at that time a lot of Republicans talked about it's really kind of our libertarian uh, mm -hmm. street mm -hmm. talked about you know individual liberty and um, the limited role that government plays in the decisions you make in your life and and what a free market looks like um, when it's truly free and and what. Um, you know, decisions are, are like when you get to decide how to educate your kids, raise your family, where to live, et cetera. So all of those, those little subtext narratives appealed to me. And so when I went, when I was uh, turned 18, I got to vote my first presidential election, 1976. Uh, I've got Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter on the ballot. And my, and I go to my mom and I said, I, I decided I registered as a Republican. <laughs> She she looked at me and she go, why the hell did you do that? Well, you told me to go ahead and make up my own mind. So I went out and I learned about both parties. And I and she just looked at me and shook her head and walked out of the way. She's just like, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I clearly have failed in my my raising you. I'm like, but you you raised me to be an independent thinker. Well, that's the so problem. So we've, they... we've had fun throughout the years with that. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with parents when they tell kids to do things, and then sometimes they, they actually go do them, you know, and it's not, yeah, it's exactly. not what you really yeah. wanted. Um, who are your early influences, <laughs> the people you looked up to and admired? Wow, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, the the irony for, 
for me as, you know, a Republican was they, they were Democrats. Um, hmm. uh, I, I very much admired Marion Barry. I thought his, his connected tissue to people was the real deal. And it, and it was, I mean, who else in the world could get caught smoking crack in a hotel with a prostitute and get elected Maryland uh, mayor, reelected mayor six months out of, after he's out of jail. I'm, right? gl- I'm I mean, glad you just... said that because I was going to ask you to qualify that you, you looked up to the pre-crack hooker, Marion Barry. The, 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 the pre, it's, the right. It's important we establish 19- that. Right, right. The 1978 <laughs> to 82 version of right. Marion Barry. Uh, but what I also recognized with someone like him was he, you know, he, like all of us, he had his demons, he had his flaws. But he he always genuinely put his public service in front of that. Um, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot of the, uh, you know, grassroots uh, organizing guys like uh, Joey Aldell, who was one of the first members of the District uh, of Columbia City Council appointed by President Johnson. Uh, Mayor Washington uh, was another one. I got to know him. Uh, and I think a lot of these folks kind of felt pity for me because here's this little black kid thinks he's a Republican growing up in Chocolate City, which is all Democrats, right? <laughs> it was like, okay, baby, let me take you aside and help you understand how you how you need to rethink this. But they respected my decision. And Marion, for example, was instrumental in helping me with, with strategies when I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2006. Um, and in fact, a, a number of his grassroots efforts, uh, I employed as a national chairman and we know how that turned out in 2010. Yeah. So, uh, I learned well at the knee. So, but I'd also say, um, you know, there were, Jack Kemp was a huge influence for me, um, in terms of, uh, watching someone, um, within the party make a genuine effort uh, to, to woo back the black vote uh, and to speak with honesty and integrity uh, about the economic plight of African-Americans in this country and wanting to turn any number of corners on that storyline uh, to create prosperity and wealth. And um, so I, I really got to spend a lot of time with him uh, and watching him so you, you you have these these two figures as an example that that in many respects are diametrically opposed. But what I found is that they actually do link up. They actually do meet at a certain point. And that is that's always guided my politics. Uh, and it's why, yeah, I'm a conservative and, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm pro pro, uh, you know, life from from the womb to the grave. So I'm against the death penalty and. You know, all these things. So for me, there's got to be consistency in my universe, but I also recognize mine is not the only universe. And so if I want to engage with you, um, if you are, you know, uh, not um, in the same space with me on abortion or the on taxes or in national security, my my opportunity and challenge is how do I make those in come to a point where they can meet? Um our politics today says those ends should never meet because you are where you are and I am where I am. I'm right, you're wrong. Or you're right, I'm wrong. And that that's that doesn't help a, a pluralistic society uh, deal with troubled times and difficult decisions if everyone thinks they're right or everyone thinks everyone else is wrong. Well, the, 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 the notion of compromise and the stories, the anecdotes about Tip O'Neill and Reagan being able to go out, for, yeah. go out for a beer after they just fought all day, like those days just seem gone. Like you're talking about tribalism and toxicity at a level that we've never experienced right. in this country. But there's also a silver line. I try to find a silver lining in everything. Donald Trump, when he was running for president back in the day, he was like, I'm a uniter. I'm going to make America great, bring everybody together. And I think the real irony, and it's kind of living proof of you and I sitting here today talking, is that he actually did, did bring people together, he, but, he but, did. But, but against him. Like, I mean, think about right. the, when I think about people like Bill Crystal and you and Nicole Wallace and Rick Wilson, Stuart Steele, like, the list can go on and on and on. How 
those guys, you and Democrats, have merged and become this force that together worked to defeat him and even more so defeat Trumpism, which is a whole other conversation. Right. It really is kind of an astonishing thing because it almost is like this, this weird metamorphosis of an evolution of that we're in the middle of and we haven't seen the end yet. But I feel like when it's all said and done, when he's gone from the culture, from the conversation, guys like you, guys like me, we will go back to our thing about, you know, I'm pro this or against that. But I feel like we're learning an incredible lesson that is going to be there for a long time. That's I, me being I, an optimist. I, no, no. I, I actually appreciate your optimism, and, and I agree with you. And I think what will happen... Okay, so let me let me do it in stages. I think we I think we're still in stage one, one and a half to two, where there's still some bottom to hit. Uh, there's still some more bottom out there. There's still some more difficulties out there. Uh, this 2024 election cycle, we can get into the the permutations and and aspects of which I think are going to be are enormously problematic, uh, and that do set up well for Donald Trump. Uh, to re to get reelected in next year, but once we get through that period um, and however it plays itself out to the universe you're you're describing, I think you're absolutely right. And what I think we will have learned as we retreat to our traditional, uh, you know, I'm for spending on this, I'm not for spending on that. I'm against this, I'm for that. We will do so, um, is, is a term that we in the church, in the Catholic church, um, refer to when you're talking about very difficult conversations and how you have them, uh, we will do so gently, mm. meaning that we will, we will be mindful of each other's humanity. We will be mindful of, of the difficulties we just came through, um, and you know what's interesting about what about the point you're making and and this opportunity, ironically and interestingly enough, we did not do that after the Civil War. We never, we never, we never had that moment where we reconciled with ourselves what we'd just been through. Mm -hmm. the The South refused to give up the ghost on slavery and racism. And and it reemerged and remanifested it, reprogrammed it into Jim Crow, mm -hmm. and all the, all the efforts at, at at reconstruction, rebuilding the country after this horrible five years uh, of war and death, um, was undone. It was systematically undone. It was not allowed to take hold completely. There was still we, you know, we didn't stamp out the pockets of resistance as we saw in modern times with uh, Germany on the heels of Nazism, where you're not putting up statues to Himmler uh, in a town in, in Bavaria or right. someplace else. Mm -hmm. um, you're not allowed to do that. No, no, we're not honoring that. Well, what did we do? We put those statues up. We hoisted the Confederal flag on state capitol buildings. Uh, and so we never reconciled ourselves to that. My hope, along with yours, is that we have that reconciliation after January 6th, that after we get through what remains of Trumpism, that we do not allow it to further metastasize into the bloodstream, into the body politic of this nation that we excise ourselves of this demon because um, it is antithetical to, uh, uh, you know, liberal democracy. And for those, those out there who want to be political, I'm talking small L, get a grip, right? I mean, because that the fact that I even have to say that tells you the moment we're in. And so I, I, I agree with your, your, um, your hope there and I would tack on to it that we actually deal with uh, the remnants of this and not allow it to seed 
a new generation. You're 100% right in your assessment. It's, it's so astute in the way you describe it in phases, because you're right, there is another election coming up. And you're also right that there is a plausible path for him to be president again, as, as mm -hmm. insane as that sounds. I know. <laughs> I mean, can you actually believe, like, when you saw the people climbing up the Capitol, like, most normal yeah. people are like, oh, man, Trump is gone after this, right? Like, even right. Lindsey Graham, he's like, I'm out, I'm done. Like, they're all just done. And then here we are almost three years later, and it's like, he's the yeah. run runner, and he's... But um, because we're, in, we're not through with those phases yet, and it could get worse before it gets better, it's like a fever. There's a fever you know 40 million people whatever number you want to put on it are in a cult right so they're just they're gone yeah. right talk about insanity yeah. and donald trump is at the root of that fever so the reconciliation that you're talking about post-civil war and will that happen again repeat mm -hmm. itself it can go either way just like a fever you can end up in the hospital and that fever turns into pneumonia and pneumonia turns into something true. else and then all of a sudden you know, true. the priest is coming in giving last rites or, <laughs> right. or you get amoxicillin and in two days you knock it out and it's gone it's our fever that we're collectively experiencing in this country is so tied to him that you know i keep listening to joe walsh who's been on this pod when he says like trump either has to have a heart attack or something like it's 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 an, it, yeah, it's an act of fever? god moment how yeah. do you break that yeah. fever because until he's gone that fever exists it, it i agree and and that's the challenge because and i think this is it speaks to where we find ourselves with with the candidates running for president right now on the republican side trying to soft pedal this and in the case of DeSantis, mimic it, but only to an extreme measure, you know, where he's out here sounding as, as dumb and as racist as ever, claiming that my ancestors benefited from slavery. And, you know, I have some choice words about that. <laughs> um, but the, the reality of it is that's the part of this that we need to cut off. Trump is less the problem in the sense that, you know, he, he, uh, this movement he's creating is, is, is trying to move a little bit beyond him, right? It, it's collecting its own energy. And now what you're seeing are some of the other folks out there, the, the next iterations of Trump uh, to, to control Trumpism, trying to emerge, find their lane, create that space. Um, that's the part we need to cut off. I'm less concerned about Trump because maybe the judicial system takes care of him. Maybe God himself takes care of him. But that's that's the least of our concerns right now because what's already in the bloodstream is what you got to deal with. It's like I recently had uh, an MRI done and and they wanted to do it with contrast. So that meant they, meant they injected a dye into my system. And so when they do that, right, it highlights certain things, right? And, and so two thoughts occurred to me uh, in that moment. It's amazing how, you know, in a medical procedure, I'm like thinking politics. So the one, the first thought that occurred to me was this dye is a lot like Trumpism. If when they put it in and the doctor goes, oh my gosh, I used the wrong contrast, right? Too late. You can't get it out of the system. It's there, right? It's in the bloodstream. What, uh, how do you get something out of the bloodstream like that, right? And the second thing was when the doctor said to me after the procedure was over was, okay, so go home, drink a lot of water to wash this out. That's how they get it out of the system, right? You find the thing I said, she, yeah, he was like, yeah, you drink a lot of water and that'll help flush the, the, the contrast out. And that's, that's the part where we come in. We are now in the water. This next iteration of how we see the country becomes the refreshing water to wash this thing out of the blood system, bloodstream of our, of our country so that we can renew ourselves um, um, on the other side of this. But it's going to require, I think, a lot of effort. Um, and here's the rub, Andy. I don't know if people want to make the effort. Mm -hmm. They're so pissed and they're so angry and there's so much looking for retribution. 
and they want to own somebody, the lives, the conservative, they, some, they don't care. They want, they want, they want to hit something. They want to beat it up. They want to take it out. And our politicians feed that. They grift off of it every day. I mean, I, I was looking, I got an email this morning from one of the presidential campaigns was telling me how disappointed they were that they hadn't heard from me. Don't I know they're, they're in the fight against the liberals who are, going, who are ruining America. And I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute, I'm doing okay. I'm ruining America. My mom, both my parents, my families, we're healthy. We're, what are you talking about? But they're finding, they're creating these lanes to get me pissed off and angry at, at something, right? And I'm like, why? Why, why am I doing this? Why, why, why are we in this space? And so it becomes much harder work than I think we may realize. Well, it's funny because this sort of leads to my next question. I thought you were going to say that when the doctors put the contrast in, they, they looked at the results and were like, my God, Mr. Steele, you're a Democrat. What? <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> right? So, but to, to stick with that analogy for a second, um, my next question on here is like, ask Michael, what the hell happened to his party? Okay, so what you're talking about is your party, the leadership of your party is not putting water in. They're putting more bad contrast in. That's right. So they're That's making right. it worse, which is literally what you just said. All of that shit. Yep. How could someone email you that? It, right. it, you know, we, we got the, the 325-pound gorilla in the room, got more charges hit against him last night twice impeached twice this i mean it's unbelievable what we're seeing with our own eyes and ears and yet yet someone who's running for president against that guy is emailing you saying what the hell's wrong with liberals they're destroying the country right i mean exactly. I'm, I'm kind of speechless like, like how does that even how right. is that still happening it's like anyway hold on let me get this say you mean Joe Biden was president on January 6th? Is that what you're telling me? Because last time I checked, it was <laughs> Donald Trump. It was the Republicans. And every last one of you SOBs got to the House and Senate floor and condemned him until he made a phone call and Kevin went running to bend the knee. Or McConnell something went else. radio right. silent. Right. Right. You know? And so you're absolutely right. Because I have said for a long time now, for through most of the president's uh, former president's term, and certainly since then, we are where we are right now inside my party because the leadership capitulated everything. Mm. They took all the chips and they put it in front of Donald Trump and said, "They're yours. But you why? play them however why? you see them." He is the last uh, person on earth. They should throw away their legacies, their reputation, their party, our democracy, our constitution. The last person who would yeah. not give them one shred of loyalty in return. Why do they do it and still do it because, despite everything we know? Because they make a lot of money off of it. And they, they now control uh, mechanisms of power uh, in states, in, in states unlike they've had in a long time, they've got a base that basically the tail wagging the dog where the base is driving the direction of the party. Um, and they're afraid of that. It's not so much that they're afraid of Donald Trump. Yeah, they don't like the name calling and the haranguing, but they don't like it when he sticks his base on them, when mm -hmm. he says to them, well, I'm sorry, I, you know, Ron DeSantis is a good example. Ron DeSantis, the reason he's mealy-mouthed about Trump, because he knows he only became governor. He even he only got the nomination because he Donald Trump endorsed him. He was he was flailing in that primary. He wasn't driving that primary. Uh, and Donald Trump came in, uh, endorsed him. He cuts the ad in uh, the general talk about reading reading uh, you know build the wall stories to his kids. Um, playing up the MAGA card and, and you know, kissing Donald Trump's left and right butt cheek at every turn. Now he wants, now he thinks he's going to go run up against the king. And Donald Trump has said, yeah, okay, I'm ready whenever you, you want to engage, let's go. And I'm still waiting. And Donald Trump's still waiting. He won't. 
And, and so, and the reason he won't is because he knows that base will turn on him. And this is the, this is what I keep saying to people. This thing is over. This race is over. And if by some weird miracle that someone else winds up with the Republican nomination, do you really think his base is going to forgive that individual mm. for his helping to set Donald Trump up for helping to promote? And this is how they'll look at it. The, the, the deep state against Donald Trump. They didn't rally behind Trump against Joe Biden's justice department, even though all of this began with Donald Trump's justice department. <laughs> Explain so, his path. What is his path to the white house again? In, in, in who? the doomsday, you know, pessimistic scenario, Tr Trump, Trump. Yeah. How does he three states? Three states. Remember, Donald Trump didn't lose the election by 8 million votes. He lost the election by 78,000 votes over three states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. They've already calculated, they've, they've done the math. They're calculating how they're going to, remember, the man turned out almost, what, 8 to 10 million more voters than he got the last time in 16? Right. So what do you think he's going to, what do you think the plan is to get to cap, to overwhelm the 78,000 votes in those three states? There are, this is the, the broader point, which I don't think Democrats appreciate. The, the media, especially the press uh, part of it, appreciates is that there are voters out there who are silently clapping, applauding, supporting Donald Trump, and you'll never know it because they've learned. I'm not sticking my head up so you to hit it. Right. I'm not identifying myself in your polls so you can make fun of me and, and discount my and try to discount my vote. I'm just going to show up when it's time to vote. And they will. And so I think you need to be not you personally, but I think folks need to be mindful that there are a lot more Americans who like what Donald Trump is selling than not. Who buy into the grievance, who buy into um they're coming for us, whether it's migrants uh, being bussed into their community, whether it's um, black people who are now asserting their history, whether it is our women, you know, um, who are, you know, staking their claim. And we won't even start the conversation around gay, lesbian, transgender community. Um, so, yeah, all those others out there. I need someone to deal with them. And Trump's the guy to do that. And that's, that's his motto. That's, you know, what does he say? He launches his presidential campaign talking about, I'm your retribution. Right. Right? I stand in the way of them coming after you. I'm going to sacrifice my political body for your well-being. And they're like, thank you. <laughs> You're the first person to ever do that. That's how the loyalty locks in. Now, is he loyal to them? Hell no. <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't give a rat's ass about any of his any of his supporters, mm -hmm. any of them. Because the moment they say something or just a little bit off of that, Donald Trump is my everything, he kicks him to the curb. And we've we've just seen that in so many instances. So that's that's how this becomes a bigger problem. So what has to be done is a higher level of organization, a, lot, a higher level of, of information infiltration. In other words, pushing out the information, uh, not just about what, what Trump is representing, the fact that he's now loaded up to the gills and indictments and likely will be in the middle of trials that could see his ultimate conviction. Um, but that the party that's promoting and pushing him have offered you nothing in return. You may not like Bidenomics, but guess what? Inflation is down. Interest rates are down. Well, interest rate, yeah, interest rates are coming down, um, even though the Fed's still ticking, <laughs> trying to play with it. They're trying to get it right. But it's not, it, you're not looking at inflationary rates. Gas prices are stabilizing. They go up a little bit, they come down. They go up, they go. That's the way the, the game was playing itself out. The infrastructure uh, of the country is getting rebuilt. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot there. So where in this are you hurting? Where, where, because if Trump and the Republicans was, and I'm saying this as a Republican, I was pissed as hell during those four years. Every week was infrastructure week. Would you mean tell me we can't come up with an infrastructure bill? We can't come up with a health care bill. We had 14 doctors in the house when I was RNC chairman and I would have these meetings and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go out against Obamacare. Right. Even though I know it's the heritage plan from 1994 and 1995. Okay. We will. I get that. Right. And we can make that case, but let's make the case. What is it? What do you want? Well, what are we selling? What are we telling the American people we're going to replace it with? Okay. You guys still thinking on that. So that's the, that's the, the wake up narrative for a lot of Americans. Like, okay, I get you want somebody to go beat the hell out of somebody you don't like. But when that's done and you feel satisfied, what do you think you're going to get in return? Because how does that how does that help your kid get a job? Well, that's the thing. How it's, does that it, help your it, business it's, grow? It's, uh, they vote against their own self-interest. Um, their own self-interest. Do you agree with people like Stuart Stevens and me who believe that all of this Trumpism at the root of it is just pretty much nothing but racism? Because that's what keeps people yeah, from thinking main... about the kid that sure. needs college tuition sure. and you know, healthcare and all that, because that's it just distracts them away from all of the shit that the party has not delivered. Yeah, no, I do. Uh, I, I have always been throughout my life um, very careful about throwing around racism, the word racism and, and making those types of allegations. Um, but I can't help at this point what conclude at the core of all of this and, I, and I've said this for most of my adult life, the problem of racism in America will be an ongoing problem until black folk and white folk decide to deal with it mm -hmm. and to deal honestly with it. Because this, this is not about any other ethnic group. All the other ethnic groups have benefited off of the gains that black folks have been able to carve out of this country, right? The civil rights gains, the voting rights gains, um, et cetera. Um, but the, the thread that ties all that together is a 1619 problem, right? And it has been a problem since that time and that we don't want to deal to put it bluntly, white folks don't want to deal with it. Um, and, and how do, why do I say that? Because they're now buying this nonsense when they're trying to tell me that Actually, I gained, my family gained skills that they otherwise wouldn't have had if they hadn't been enslaved. That slavery was nothing more but a glorified jobs program. You mean you don't have uh, in your Twitter profile uh, hobbies, blacksmithing? Right. <laughs> I got to do that. I got to do that. But, see, but, so, but that speaks to it. When you're trying to whitewash the stain instead of acknowledging that it's there, and figure out how together we clean it up, we fix it, right? That tells me you ain't ready. And you think in the process of trying to address that to your very point that you're losing something. Well, why are you blaming my kids for race slavery? I'm not. I just want your kids to understand what it was and the impact it had on my family and the impact it had on their family, right? And that's okay. It's okay to say, oh yeah, my, my great-great-granddaddy owned a slave. And it's okay to acknowledge, yeah, my great-great-granddaddy was the slave owned by your great-great-granddaddy, all right? And so let's have that conversation. That's okay. But when you got someone saying, well, I don't, I don't want to acknowledge that, and I don't want you to guilt my kid, and I don't, I don't want to learn that, I want to rewrite that story. I don't, I don't want to highlight that side. We, we just need to talk about the benefits from slavery. Okay, well, you want to talk about the benefits? All right, let's talk about how we built the country. How, how the, that the wealth that your family has came from my family's labor. Let's have that conversation. You want to have that conversation? All right, then that leads me to reparations. Mm -hmm. just <laughs> you don't, my point you don't get away from it. You right. just don't get away from it. Well, it's like slaves built the pyramids, right? They're not putting that in their Twitter yes. profiles either, like your pyramid building. <laughs> in, our, 
In our final couple of minutes, I, w- I got to ask you about 24. Um, yeah. Would you say, <clears throat> speaking of insanity, that I am insane if I believe that Mike Pence is going to end up with the nomination? Um, no. I don't think you're. I don't think you're insane. I just think you're brain dead. That's all. No, you're not insane. I think you're brain dead. Because <laughs> you're right. gonna have to explain. You're gonna have to explain to me how someone everybody wants to hang <laughs> turns around and winds up with the nomination. But I'm I'm ready to listen. All right, I will. I'm going to defend the brain dead community right now. Politically brain dead community. <laughs> And if I was in Vegas, I'd have to demand like some serious odds before I actually put my money on it. But here's my thinking. Trump, as we know, is just getting more and more mired in legal muck and Mm -hmm. cannot run a campaign. It's just not. I mean, you know, we've all at some point in our lives been involved in a lawsuit. One lawsuit takes up a lot of time, a lot of thinking, a lot of resources, a lot of time, money, whatever. More stuff is coming out. At some point... He's either going to cut a deal, and that deal might be, I got to admit guilt, and I got to withdraw from the race. Or he's just going to, like, Christie, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, but Christie is inching up in the polls. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of time between now and the election. That something happens, because that's the thing we know about Trump. Trump has literally destroyed conventional wisdom. It does not exist in the last eight years which is foundational to my, my brain dead yep. theory. Uh, right. And okay. so sticking with conventional wisdom being out the window, there is a chance it's, things could happen in the next several months that just weaken his candidacy. And the guy waiting is the guy who was vice president, the guy who was in Congress, the guy who knows how to talk to the media because he was a talk show host, the guy who is literally Jesus, like he is the real deal, not, you know, Mr. Two Corinthians, you know, Right. That just just like walked into a bar. Yeah. <laughs> Two Corinthians. Uh, I always love that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Trump, the fact that, by the way, just to sidetrack for a second, the fact that Trump has the balls to stand in front of people and talk about the Bible either means he's, he's delusional, a sociopath, or has confidence that men like you and I, people like you and I, have, we can only dream of having. So at the end of the day, conservatives... The Michael Steeles, the Rick Wilsons, the Stuart Stevens, all the Republicans who left to support Joe Biden, if they're looking at Mike Pence on the ticket, they're going back, right? So maybe there's just something's going to happen between now and then that just makes him get in there in the right moment, the right time. I, you know, Am I still so, brain dead? So Am I, I still brain dead? There was, there was, you know, I saw the paddles, I saw the paddles uh, trying to resuscitate. So I get it. I get it. Not, not completely. So there was a blip on the screen. So there's this possibility. But here, here's where I think logically you're right. Um, that, re, that, rep, that the Republican MAGA base is not going to, is not going to warm up to the guy they want to hang. And they they drive the primary right now. If if Pence, as I've said this, I've actually said this to Chris Christie and a few others, if they're able to pull that remaining 65% of the base that no one talks about, because everyone only focuses on the 35% that's rabid in the, in the corner screaming at itself, um, then you're right. The the mainstream traditional Republicans would, because they do kind of fall into the, well, he was the vice president. He's arguably the you know, the next in line. You know, they kind of fall back into that sort of traditional thinking of process, of primary process. I could see him sort of gathering um, some energy off of those votes. But the problem is I haven't seen him kind of parlay that conversation yet. Mm-hmm. And the window is closing. Keep in mind, he's not on the first debate stage yet. Right. He can't get to 40,000 donors, individual donors mm-hmm. yet. That's, that tells me a lot. Um, and, you know, so he's got to figure out maybe he should have done like some of the others and 
paid paid uh, voters twenty dollars gift cards to you know you know to send him a dollar. But um, if he's able to turn that corner, then I think there's a lot more. If he gets on that first debate stage, I think he's able to turn that corner. I think he's going to be competitive in Iowa. Trump is not going to be competitive in Iowa. I think Trump loses Iowa just like he did in 16. But don't get me started on Iowa. It's a reason why the Democrats took it off the top. They should have. I tried when I was RNC uh, chairman and got my clock clean for even suggesting that we not uh, do that. Um, But New Hampshire, South Carolina, South Carolina especially, opens a world of window of opportunity for someone like Mike Pence, uh, particularly if he places a good second in Iowa to someone else or even wins it outright, Mm -hmm. which he arguably could. He's spending a lot of time there, spent good resources there. Um, He is is their Jesus for those Christian nationalists and those those right-wing Christian conservatives. Um, and and so they may rally around him because the Bible teaches they shouldn't want to hang anybody. So they may have forgiven him enough to vote for him. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. That's if they follow the Bible. So right. let's just <laughs> the, the, that's probably their first I'm favorite suspect. book, and then Art of the Deal is the second favorite book. Like Trump, right. like Trump said, right. this has been great. I have so many more questions I could ask you for another couple hours, which means you'll have to come back. Uh, this was a lot I, of fun. Look, man, I'd love to come back. Absolutely. We'll talk again uh, next time. You got it, my friend. You take care of yourself. Good to be with you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy, and it was co-produced and co-edited by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. We'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. Have a great week.